He's had measles. Possibly you had them when you're a child and don't even remember. But I remember the little itchy red spots and uh, that overwhelming urge to scratch them and you know you want to rip them out. And uh, it's really annoying. I remember you know having some special bath thing because the spots go all over your body. They don't just go in a particular area. You know, mosquito bites are only in a particular area, but the measles go everywhere. And I remember having special baths and stuff to try and ease the, the itch. If you went to a medical person and that medical person says, I've got a cure for measles, you say, yes. And if they said, look, go home and stick Band-Aids over all the spots, that would be a couple of packets of Band-Aids, wouldn't it? You'd be just a Band-Aid person. Um, that's not really very helpful because is the spot the problem or is there something else inside the body? The spot's actually a, a sign that there's a problem in your bloodstream. That's where the disease is. And it's in your bloodstream, a virus going around. The spots are an outward sign of that. So to put spots over the outward sign is not going to fix the problem. And we're seeing in Jesus today uh, where Jesus uh, sees a greater need in every single person and has a remedy for that, and it's an instant remedy. The question we need to ask ourselves today, has he done it for us? Has he done it for you or me? That's the important question we need to ask today. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 says Jesus comes home. He's got that home base where, uh, where Peter's mother-in-law was healed and it's his base of ministry. In verse 2 it says so many people gathered there was just a full house. In fact, it was overflowing. You couldn't even get to the doorway. And look what he does when all these people are crowded there in verse 2. So many people gathered there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. He was preaching. He wasn't doing healings, he was preaching. Back in the uh, previous chapter, in verse 38, it says that's why he came. We saw last week, that's what's important to Jesus. Prayer was important and preaching, calling people to respond to God, was important for Jesus and that's why he was here. And we got people who are hungry to hear because he's not doing healings, they're hungry to hear him speak and teach. The sort of house in those days would have, um, not like our houses with lots of windows and stuff, it would have had a door, it might have had a window, may not have had a window. It was probably just a one-room sort of a building and um, where you'd cook in part and you'd sleep in part and whatever. Um, you didn't have running water, so if you're going to wash it, just a bucket, you know, and that sort of stuff. Very primitive. But outside the houses, because they uh, was, weren't very big houses, they would have a stairway up outside to go to the roof. On the roof, they'd have a flat roof and they'd have some shade up there. You'd run some cloth or some, some material or even some plants growing up there, but mostly material, where you could actually sit in the shade, particularly in the late afternoon, the early evening, you could sit out in the cool of the night. That was common. And so we have here the, um, a paralytic carried by four people in verses 3 and 4. They come to the house. They see it's just jam-packed with people. They can't even see Jesus. They can't anyway get to Jesus. Obviously bringing a paralyzed person, they've come for a reason, haven't they? They're coming for that friend to be healed. And they're determined, so they go up the stairs on the outside, carrying their friend up there, they get up the top, and they dig through the roof. It's not corrugated iron roof, it's not tile roof, it's sort of mud brick house with mud brick roof with you know weaved in with branches and stuff. They dig through it. You can imagine Jesus in this crowded room teaching and suddenly there's bang on the roof, and next minute there's dirt and dust falling down. They make a gap a spot because they lowered the man in. Well, there had to be a pretty big hole to lower a guy in. And they're lowering down in the midst of them. So they really achieved getting their friend to Jesus. They were determined about doing that. 
Look what Jesus' response is. When Jesus, verse 5, saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, I don't think he came for that. I think they're probably all, huh? No, 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 Jesus. What's going on here? Um, It's a challenging statement because he saw their faith. And uh, it wasn't the faith of like the demons knew, knew who Jesus was, but they didn't have faith in Jesus. So it's something more than knowing who Jesus is. It's actually responding to Jesus. It's seeking Jesus. It's wanting more and more of Jesus. And by their bold actions of the paralyzed man and his friends, they were coming to Jesus with faith. And he says to the paralytic, the sins are forgiven. Uh, we're reminded in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, that no one's perfect, no one understands, no one seeks God. We're all rebelling against God, all mankind. Every single person's got this problem. And how big is the problem? Well, someone once worked it out. If you know, God looks at what we do in our minds and, our, and what we say and what we do, so it could be one sin a day in what I thought or didn't think, one word I said or didn't say, and one action I did or didn't do, that's missing the mark by one, but that's still three. And if you multiply that out to over 12 months a year, that now becomes over a 1,000 times I've sinned. And if you live for 70 years, it now becomes over 70,000 times I've sinned. So missing the mark by one suddenly looks very big, huge in fact. And some people say, well, you know, maybe it's a balance of scales. Maybe if my good outweighs the bad, I'll be happy, you know, God will be happy with me. And that sounds like, yeah, that sounds not too bad. But what's God's standard going to be? You know, has he got a pass mark? What is it? Well, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says, the standard God expects from all of us is to be perfect as he is perfect. And that means no mistakes, no sin. We're all in big trouble. So it can't be the balance of scales. We've got this massive amount of sin, even if we're just missing the mark, it's adding up hugely before God. So Jesus is seeing mankind's greatest need, his deepest need, something that underlies everything we are. And you might see right at this point, well, hang on, this person's come paralysed and then Jesus says your sins are forgiven. Is there a connection between sins forgiven and being paralysed? Is this man punished for his sins by being paralysed? Is it divine retribution? That's what it's called. Some faiths, some religions believe that. Uh, The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible, in fact, teaches that the whole world is fallen. The whole world is cursed. It started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they just didn't get cursed with death but the whole world got cursed and everything's under this curse where bad things happen. And in fact, we all face health issues and you might be a a fit specimen right now but you've got one health issue that's going to hit you hard and every other person. And what's that? Your body's going to give up one day. I think that's a health issue. (laughs) And none of us are going to avoid it, are we? So no matter what, and even if if this paralyzed man got healed, do you think for the rest of his life he never had a cold, never had a problem, never... No, it's not saying that at all. Yes, this particular problem got fixed. And Jesus, and we know God can do mighty healings from time to time, but the greatest problem we all have 
is that one day this body will stop. And that's why Jesus came to forgive sins, because by forgiving sins, we now uh, have eternal life with God. We avoid judgment. We avoid being condemned to death uh, eternally with God. We actually have access to God, eternal life. And Jesus was preaching in the previous chapter, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, calling upon people to repent and believe, to recognize uh, God is there and turn to God, turn around. Seeking to be forgiven, seeking the broken relationship you have with God to be restored. And so by saying forgiveness of sins, he's actually addressing the greatest need of this man here and our greatest need too. But when he says forgiveness of sins, rightly, the religious leaders there in verse 6 and 7, they've come to check out Jesus. I mean, he's, he's suddenly really popular. He's teaching about God. They're the experts in uh, teaching about the Bible. They're sent along to check him out and report back. And they saw straight away. There's a theological uh, basis here. They saw straight away the theological root Who can forgive sins but God alone, they say in verse 7. It's true. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Every sin, even if it's towards other people and affects other people, in the end it's towards God because God has created us and God has told us to live in a certain way and we don't do it. And they recognise that Jesus is actually making a claim to be God. Now at this point, the... um, there's a confrontation that starts to develop between Jesus and the religious leaders of the nation. And that'll keep going on and expanding. Because these religious leaders, even though they claim to be people of knowledge and people who study the Bible, people who want to know God, when they're confronted with evidence right now, they don't want to take it on board. Or they don't want to look at, uh, well... Yeah, he's just healed this paralyzed man. Who can do that? But God, what's going on here? They're failing to see Jesus could be God. They reject him, even when they're confronted with the evidence. We still find that today in people. Uh, people will not look at the evidence of the Bible. They will not look at the evidence of the resurrection. Uh, the evidence of the resurrection wasn't just to Jesus' friends. A crowd of 500 saw him. In the end, one of his enemies, Paul, saw him. Uh, the evidence of the resurrection is not just in the Bible. It's in the Josephus, a Jewish historian of the day, a Jewish historian, not a Christian. He records it. So there's evidence outside the Bible, outside the Christian community, that the resurrection happened. And people won't accept that. And they won't accept what they're seeing right here. It's always been a hardness of heart to even the evidence is real in your face, sometimes people won't accept it. Look what Jesus does in verse 9. He knows what they're thinking, so he says in verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Easy. (laughs) They're both impossible, aren't they? But uh, something that is um, uh, impossible for people is easy for God. And we're going to see that. Easy for God. The miraculous uh, is happening here. And so in verse 10, he says, um, verse 11, he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and walk and go home. And the guy picks up his mat. This is what he's been carried around on. This is where he spent his life on, this mat. And now he's seeing a total reversal. Uh, he's, he's now carrying the mat out. The thing he carried him around, he carries out. He's totally restored. We don't know why he was paralysed. 
but obviously there must have been injury. And even if there was an injury, if it was an injury, even if he's saying it's psychosomatic, okay, but what about all these withered muscles? Because he couldn't walk. He wouldn't have had the strength to stand. But that's all fixed up too. So there's the injuries fixed and all the muscles strengthened and he walks out completely restored by just a word from Jesus. Jesus is God. And it's interesting the order it happens in because you know, he came to be, he came as a paralyzed man lowered down. He came to be healed. Jesus could have done that straight away. Why didn't he do it straight away? If he did that straight away, people would have gone, wow, look at this, be jumping around. And then when he said, your sins are forgiven, would have just gone straight over their heads. They wouldn't have even heard that because they would have been so excited and overcome by this miracle they'd seen. But the way it's presented, they actually hear about your sins are forgiven. They're and the religious leaders help them to be understanding, well, he's claiming to be God. This is, a, this is wrong. This is a big thing. And people are thinking, he's claiming to be God. Sins are forgiven. And then he does this healing that only God can do. So in the minds of the people who are listening and trying to understand, suddenly, wow, he must be God. And that's why it's happening in that order. What about us and forgiveness of sins? We're told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus was given the name, an angel appeared to Joseph before he was born, said, you'll call him Jesus because you'll save his people from their sins. It's the reason Jesus came. He came to live that perfect life, submitting his life to God for about 28, 30 years, and then... He would have three years of ministry and then he would die on the cross. The only one not deserving punishment would take our punishment so we could be forgiven. He would say in Mark chapter 10, verse 45 about that, that he would give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom, paying the penalty for our sins. And Jesus is breaking the power of sin and death that the evil one has over us. The evil one controls us because while we sin, we're facing death, eternal death with God. And we can't get out of that. But Jesus breaks that. Galatians chapter 1 verse 14 says, The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Jesus, by dying for us, breaks the power of sin and judgment and eternal death with God. He breaks that. We can be forgiven. And forgiveness is something that is given, is offered to us by God because Jesus has taken our punishment. It's something we need to receive. We're called to repent. We're called to recognise that we, we've got this massive problem with God. We, we're in great trouble. We, we want to... Um, not just avoid it, we want to change our life. We're not just sorry, we want to make a change in our life and turn around to obey God and submit to God. And so we're people who want to accept Jesus as our saviour but also as our Lord, the person we honour and trust and obey. And that's how forgiveness comes to us. What's the important? What's the importance when you know you've done the wrong thing? You're convicted of it. You know you're not right. What's the importance of being forgiven? I mean, who has ever felt the weight of doing the wrong thing? 
you know, the oppressive weight that just wants to smother you and crush you and, and you just can't get out from under it because you know it's true. You can't logically get out of it. You, can't, you know it's true. It's just an imp- oppressive weight. But then to be forgiven, to have that taken off, to have that guilt taken away, how liberating is that? How freeing is that? Romans, Paul writes this letter to Romans. He, he gives an explanation of, of you know, our sinful state in Romans chapter 3, all of sin. He goes on to talk about Jesus uh, dying in our place and, and we're made right with God, justified by faith, right with God through faith in Jesus. He talks about his own wrestling in chapter 7 with sin and just doesn't want to leave his life, keeps hanging around. But then he comes to chapter 8, verse 1. He said there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We come to judgment day and there's no condemned. We're forgiven because of Jesus. We're going to be declared not guilty. We're going to be free from that accusation of the evil one because of Jesus Christ. You see, we're seeing today that Jesus has the remedy for our greatest problem. And that's sin. And he's someone we can trust and rely on. You know, I I like paper. Sorry, computer people. I like paper. Wouldn't it be great to get a letter, you know, saying, Wayne Tilsley, forgiven of sins by Jesus Christ. And we had to carry that around with me, pull it out and read it, flash it to people who might want to say the wrong thing. You know, it'd be great. I like that. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen for you either. But Jesus said if we come to him repenting, if we come to him acknowledging our sin, if we come to him seeking his forgiveness and relying upon him as Lord and Saviour, giving him control of our life, then we're forgiven. We're freed from guilt. Eternal life is open to us. How liberating is that? How good is that?